I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Undertale. With us tonight, we have longtime friend of the show, Holly Wu actress Maya Suris. It still cracks me up every time you say that. Hello. And longtime child of the show, Willow Shaw. Hello. These two are here on account of loving this game for years on end. They are the experts. Sharon and I will be deferring to them throughout. We will be talking full and far-reaching plot details, but I don't consider these spoilers. I didn't start caring about the game until Super Eyepatch Wolf put in all the context. That is the opposite of spoiling something. So, if you haven't yet played it and have wanted to for eight years, but even with what I've just said, you still don't want to know everything, now is the time to finally push that button. Go do that. We will be here when you get back. Now that they're gone, we can talk about them behind their back, but only to say nice things and all the better to throw them that surprise party. On this long-awaited episode, we are talking about a legendary indie smash hit released in 2015, The Last Good Year. It has a ravenous and extensive fan base, a deep lore, and countless acres of fanfic, musical remixes, OCs, and animated shorts. Is that correct? Just... I've literally just been reading one while we were waiting. Cool. Good, good. Boning up. <laughs> It was made by Toby Fox, who also composed the music that you'll be hearing throughout. He was just following on in his eyes from Earthbound, the Halloween hack fan game, and making something that both paid tribute to and yet subverted his beloved influences like Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger. It is a role-playing game very much in a style somewhere between regular and Super Nintendo, if that makes any sense. Like, there's a certain retro style that's a little bit 8-bit and a little bit 16-bit, but it's neither one nor the other. But the combat, rather than being turn-based like its influences, takes the form of weird little bullet-hell battles, giving you a little red heart and a ton of flak to avoid. You play a human child that climbs a mountain and falls into an underworld populated by monsters. But you swiftly find that, like the Clive Barker film Nightbreed, these are a great deal less terrifying and more humanized than the vast majority of video game characters. Every single enemy has quirky little traits and frailties which you can observe in them if you listen to what they say before, after, and especially during fights. With all the deadly objects flying around, you have to switch your focus between keeping your ass alive and paying attention to them. Because this game lets you grant every monster mercy. And not just in an instantly fight-ending way. Mercy is hard won. You have to dodge their lashed-out attacks like crazy in order to reach the privileged position of being able to end the fight with nobody dying at all. Far from simply going your separate ways, you then spend varying amounts of time hanging out with these sad little creatures, empathizing with their tragic comic plight, and valuing that connection more than the thrill of victory at the destruction of another by your hand. It is possible to go through the entire game that way. 
dubbed a pacifist run, and conversely, you can do the opposite and kill them. You can kill everyone. That's either a genocide run, or Willow has actually requested that we don't call it that because Toby doesn't like it, and go for... No Mercy? Yeah. Yeah. No Mercy run is where you kill everyone. And we will be talking about that later because you folks all need the full context of what No Mercy entails. I only mention it here to leave a splinter at the back of your mind, always reminding you as we hop from character to character that you can choose to murder them like so many other characters in video games that you've now forgotten. Undertale stands as a challenge to the idea of supremacy through combat. It suggests that there may be more to life than to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of the women. It emerged during a period when a lot of indie games were telling stories through more explorative, less combative means, giving way to the derisive label of Walking Simulator. Now, there's a neon streak of toxicity running through that phrasing, an unreadiness to play something that doesn't give you the constant dopamine drip of fight loops. Fortunately, Undertale scored big with fans of challenging gameplay too, because it's not easy at all. There's puzzles as well, which will drive you nuts. In fact, I'll say right now that the majority of my merciful brawls with these gleep globs were controlled by Willow. It feels like the perfect way to play a game that would otherwise, sadly, lock out many people who fail to hit that hand-eye coordination minimal quota. Sharon, did you have difficulty with this one? Uh, massive, yeah. yeah. I, bullet holes are not my thing. Yeah. Okay. This is a labyrinth that you have been given to explore, giving it a twisted similarity with our mutually beloved Jim Henson classic, Labyrinth, which Maya guested on. But while superficially you are looking inward, your character remains a blank slate with little variation to you between the three approaches of kill everything, try your very best not to kill anyone, and a third somewhat apathetic playstyle that is likely to be less rewarding. Yep, Willow's nodding. But the meat of this thing is connection to others and empathizing with their misgivings about themselves and their regrets and confusions. Luckily, for our purposes, the adventure isn't too long, ranging from between six and eight hours, although you can throw several more hours into that, into finding absolutely everything, and believe me, a lot of people do. Will I just put their hand up? <laughs> and in a modular, almost episodic fashion that lets you focus on one of several, I suppose, boss-type main characters as you go, which gives us a chronological structure. And we can start with the first monster you meet when you fall into the underground onto a bed of yellow flowers. However, the discussion on Flowey could unravel fast and get wildly convoluted for newcomers. So let us just focus, for now, on whom he presents himself at the beginning of the game to be. So Flowey starts off going, Hey, how's it going, buddy? How about you? Uh, I I'm going to drop some love rocks on you. Just see if you can catch them. And it's their bullets, and he's uh, trying to trick you into getting hurt. See, this is a love knife. I'm going to stab you with it, but it'll totally be fine. You'll love it. Um, Maya, do you want to uh, uh, give us a little uh, bit of the skinny on uh, wh what Flowey is oh. without going into Flowey's dark, dark past? Mm. Yeah. Um, so on the surface, uh, like you said, Flowey is the first monster that you encounter and it's it's hard to oh god it's so hard to explain what his deal is without giving too much away 
I like to think of him like a, a couple years later, the game Cuphead was released, another kind of indie darling. And Flowey almost seems like he would be right at home as oh, an hmm, enemy yeah. in Cuphead. If that gives you an idea, if you've never played this um, for whatever reason, if that gives you some context, Flowey would show up as a Cuphead enemy and do a similar bullet hell style attack and have this like grinning, seemingly charming face. And he would say all these nice things to you. And then at the drop of a hat, he turns into a psychopath. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of his deal. And I, one of the things that kind of is a dead giveaway is his theme song and his music that pops up along with it. It's very saccharine sweet mm. and it's almost going too far. In fact, it is going too far. Like you hear that music and you just know something's not right here. I should not trust this person. I'm pretty sure there was a character in Cuphead called Cagney that was pretty much a big flower that tried to kill mm -hmm. That's exactly right. There is a flower in there. It's, it's like, he kind of looks a little bit like Flowey. Isn't that interesting? But it's kind of a, a similar art style, just, you know, pixelated in Undertale. Yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, I, whether this is intentional or I'm just seeing it, but there's, there's a lot of sort of mythological connections with flowers being... They look lovely, but be careful. Wizard of Oz in particular, I'm thinking, the poppy fields that make you fall, make Dorothy fall asleep. Yeah. Hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, Toriel. Ah, funny. <laughs> look, this is Puntown, okay? And I am the mayor of Puntown Ooh, today. Oh, started it. <laughs> so we're finishing it. Okay, so Toriel <laughs> is sort of a, well, she's a, a Taurus. She is a cow lady who is a very over, what? She's a goat. She's a goat She's a lady goat. who is very, but like, what's Tori? Tor and Asgore's got like, he's a giant bull thing. Oh, forget it. He's a ram. Okay. She's drawn a little bit more, um, a little bit more friendly. Hmm. I guess like goats have uh, connotations with Satan. Like yeah. Little, they've got a, a bit of a coldness to them, but cows just have those big eyes that are very comforting and they look so pretty so i think her more than the other two is is meant to look that way she's mm. she's meant to be very motherly yeah, she's, she's meant welcoming to be and maternal a, and she, she doesn't want you to um leave the house uh toriel being the tutorial teaches you how to play the game uh, well uh, i was just gonna make a note on how Toriel is betrayed is a lot kinder than other monsters, like immediately kinder. They yeah. go from scary flower trying to kill you, literally screaming die at you. With a terrifying face. And then they go to Toriel hitting him off the screen with a goofy looking face and the beautiful music that starts playing behind it. Mm. And about the kind expression, she's the only character in the entire game where I think her larger pixel art in the black and white screen is coloured. There's a very tiny detail, but her eyes are like a reddish brown. Mm. And I just thought it was really beautiful. 
Maya, when we were doing six, uh, I pointed out that there are like three ways that RPGs can begin. And one of them is a lady wakes you up and it's quite often your mum or a friend who's a girl. And they kind of send you out of the house, kick mm-hmm. you in the pants and send you on your way. Uh, it's a Pokemon sure. type thing. you know. Uh, but Well, um, Earthbound starts that way. Yeah. And Toriel's the opposite. She's like, no, 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 you're going to stay here. It's dangerous out there. Stay here. I'm going to make you butterscotch pie. Also, she does what quite a few characters do, which is to phone you and like, go, do you, do you like butterscotch or what's the other one? Cinnamon. 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 I mean, which do you like more? Because like if I made a butterscotch pie with cinnamon, would you eat it? And hypothetically. Hypothetically. And <laughs> yeah, she's, she's uh, clingy. And at the same time, She's right, it is dangerous out there, and you could quite easily blunder into a bunch of enemies who you can't grant mercy to because they murder you. And I think she, more than almost anyone else, knows exactly what's going to happen to you once you step outside, Mm. and she has seen this happen before. She is desperate to not have it happen again. There is very much a feeling, uh, the Peter Pan feeling of this has happened before, it will happen again, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. unless the cycle is broken, and we'll get to that by the end. Right. There are some subtle ways that I feel like Toriel's desperation comes through quite early in the game. Mm. If Even if you don't know what's coming, you can pick up on the fact that something is not quite right here. Mm. Next up, we got because uh, you break free of Toriel fairly easily because your fight against Toriel, she starts to sort of like slam you with was it fire. fire, but then when you get start getting weak, she's like scattering objects near you, but really trying not to actually hurt you. She's a fight that you can walk away from. I'm not sure if it's during either a neutral run or someone made a mod for it, or during a genocide or no mercy. Ah, uh, you said not to call it that. Or during a No Mercy run. There you go. But um, I think there is one occasion where Toriel accidentally kills you, and there's a fraction of a second between your, like, the whole screen going black and your heart breaking, where <gasps> Toriel is just shocked, and she's like, oh my god! Mm-hmm. And I've seen that, and I don't I don't remember if it's an in-game thing or if it was a mod, but I know I've seen images of yeah. it being possible for you to actually... Die in that fight, and then she feels absolutely horrible. Yeah, I'm guessing the purpose of this then is to get you used to the idea that you don't have to fight back because you're being presented with somebody who is not and very obviously not trying to kill you. In the next person we talk about, there's going to be another case of you don't need to fight back, but you can. But go on. Yes, there's a there's a, a little hint that, I, and one of the things that is. You know, it's absolutely a trope of RPGs as well. If you talk to absolutely every NPC that you can, they give you some really good information. There's an enemy called a Froggit, and there's kind of a lineup of them right before you start to go out of the um, the realm where Toriel kind of lives and presides over mm-hmm. the like tutorial area. Yeah, she holds you by the hand you, and leads you through not scary yeah. places whilst overly tense music plays. <laughs> yeah, but there's a there's one of the froggets that will give you a very important piece of advice, which is sometimes you're going to have to give mercy to somebody who doesn't want to accept it and yeah. who's not ready for it. And that's actually how you get by Toriel, is that if you keep saying mercy, even when she's not ready, 
that's the way to get by her. So I think it's it's a neat little addition that was thrown in there that one of the NPCs will actually give you the answer to the puzzle. Mm. And that is, uh, uh, you're talking earlier about, you know, subverting expectations. This game is chock full of that. Mm. You are always being challenged to finding new and novel ways around a situation. You're encouraged to be sociable, which, since this game plays to a giant crowd of introverts, is terrifying. But luckily, almost everyone (laughs) you meet is some kind of introvert anyway, except for certainly one of them. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) the... Uh, you, you are rewarded for persistence if this kind of, like, what, what we're describing sounds delightful, then you are rewarded for that. Yeah, but as I said, there is a stick to about this game, which you have to be able to push through. And, and again, like I said, the only real failing and weakness for me is that there's no other way around bullet hell. Like, it's you've got to be good at bullet hell or you die. And you won't be able to uh, to, to um, grant mercy to anyone because you're not good enough at bullet hell. Same as I really want to play Cuphead, and I've wanted to since I f- saw the first trailer for it. And I know it's rock hard and frustrating, and it never goes down in price for me to be able to buy it on sale and just kind of hand wave the fact that I'm never going to get far in it. Mm. And so, you know, all the people, there should not be an easy mode on Dark Souls. Yes, there should. There should not be an easy mode on Cuphead. Why not? Because I achieved something and I don't want anyone else to if they're getting it easier than me. I worked hard for that thing. That's what achievements are for. You know, you well done. You beat it on Veteran. There, you, There's your achievement. That's fantastic. You can show the world that. I don't even mind getting like a little blip that goes, you beat it, but you had all the assists on. That's cool. I just wanted to watch Cuphead and play it rather than just watch it on YouTube. Anyway. If it was more like, uh, yeah, you got this achievement, you beat it on hard, and then they added an easy mode and got rid of that achievement, I'd be reasonably pissed. But they but aren't. they don't do that. They're not messing yeah, they with don't. the achievements. Mm. Next character might be one of my favourites in all of video game history, only rivaled by his brother. Um, Papyrus. One of the anchors of this game. A deluded, foolish, giant, tall skeleton who is super enthusiastic about everything. I guess the easiest way to explain his delusion without being mean is that right here we have the two points of the next characters we're going to talk about. It goes Papyrus and then Sans. If he saw this, he would go, oh my god, you put me first, that's amazing, you must love me. But if you put him second, he would go, saving the best for last. Saving the best for last. That's the kind of deluded he is. He will not take insults, he will annoy you until you just accept the fact you're his friend now. He's a golden retriever then. He's a wonderful golden retriever. He's a big golden retriever. Indie uh, he's like Mr. Peanut Butter then as well. Like Indy, much mm-hmm. like Mr. Peanut Butter, is convinced the entire world loves him because humans coo over him. He's only a little bit uh, confused by other dogs who, when they see him coming, go, this this guy. This guy thinks he's all that and a box of firecrackers. Well, I'll show him. I'm going to bark at him and try and bite him on the ear. And then Indy's like, well, I'm just trying to get petted by your master. What's the problem? I don't like the fact this is an analogy for Papyrus. But pa- is it true, though? I mean, I feel like certain yes. people would think that Papyrus was just a total dick, but uh, his desperation to be cool and like his, his, his pompous 
but in a way where you can absolutely see he doesn't have any of the things that he's claiming to have. And, oh, no. like, he sets you, you know, nefarious traps that are things like a children's word search. <laughs> to be fair, that would... <clears throat> Uh, to be fair... Oh, the, the junior jumble? Yes. The junior jumble. That yeah. was Sans's, not All oh, right. Okay, cool. Right. He was the one being lazy. Okay. By all means, say point of order rather than to be fair. <laughs> I'm not being unfair on poor Papyrus. And I'm right. He does set crap traps. And there are many of his puzzles that you couldn't get past and you needed my help with, so... Oh, I'm crapper than, <laughs> than Papyrus at traps. I'm even more deluded. <laughs> well, I'm not deluded that I can do them. I'm just like, no, no way, I'm rubbish at this. Wait a minute. You mean you didn't get past the dog hanging from a string? Um, that one I was, with my cat-like reflexes, I was able to beat that alone without any help from Will at all. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness for that. It's exactly like it uh, sounds, folks. The dog goes so, fine, by the way. We <laughs> know it's it's great. I I love that so much that part of his like big elaborate trap, part of it is just a dog hanging from a string. It's amazing. It's a terrifying dog that always <laughs> causes annoyance <laughs> to him. Without yeah, there's context. There's a big dopey smile on its face and just meh, its tongue hanging out the whole time. Blep. It's adorable. Without context, that trap does sound nefarious. With context, you will be laughing like me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, uh, because you know he doesn't mean it. You know he is he is so over-enthusiastic and overconfident mm -hmm. about his abilities to the point where you know he's... He, like, you're not... This isn't you. You're not evil, and you're not trying to hurt anybody. So, like, you're not fooling anyone, dude. <laughs> Like, and come it, on. As soon as it's uh, first off, he starts out as the greatest human hunter in all the land. That slowly kind of works back to I want to be on the royal guard. Yeah. And then eventually it turns into Oh my goodness, you're going. You actually want to be my friend? Uh, I'm going to allow this to happen. I'm so excited. <laughs> I actually get a friend. And it, it's clear that he's not too lonely because he always has his brother for company, and his brother is low key mm -hmm. and very kind. Um. Sans is the opposite in uh, of, of uh, Papyrus. He wears blue. He is very aware of everything going on, and he kind of keeps it to himself in an enigmatic style, very key keen on sly humor, but also kind of boom-boom dad jokes. And uh, I think... More, more so than Papyrus is kind of the, the object of so many Undertale fans' affections because he kind of is the game. If that makes sense. Like, he's the wise-ass at the core of the game, even though Toby Fox mm. most identifies with the annoying doggo. There is um, something important about Papyrus people seem to miss quite a lot when they talk about him in the fandom. They don't think he's strong, which isn't true. He is very strong. He's capable, but he's just... He's very naive. He does think that people wouldn't hurt each other just because they're afraid, just because they want to. Yeah, he knows nothing about the world. He doesn't, but it's when you start to see more into him, you start to see that he's desperate for this. He's scared that he's not going to be able to achieve his lifelong dream. Hmm. And you get to really... He's maybe one of the friendliest characters in the game. He's mm. incredibly sweet and very affectionate towards you. In every single room from Snowden, if you go on the date with him, if you 
finish his fight without hurting him. In every single room from that point, almost every one of them, he calls you. If you call him in that room, he will give you a little piece of friendly advice, he'll make a funny joke, he'll make you smile, because he's amazing! He's the great papyrus, <laughs> goddammit! He's hyperactive, he overthinks, and also underthinks at the same time, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. uh, overcompensates, but at the same time, he's very diligent, as, as Willow uh, is describing here. He, he won't half-ass anything. He'll try and use his entire bony ass. The reason, like, the junior jumble is not because... Was that Sans or Papyrus? Sans is Papyrus. Okay, but the, the, the rubbish traps are not because he's lazy. He just thinks they'll be a lot more devastating than they are because of his delusions and his slight detachment from reality. Reality. Well, so, as, as real as monster reality is. Sans, however, uh, can anyone beyond me sum up uh, the, uh, the, the raison d'etre of this character? Cryptic Funkle. Cryptic Funkle. Fun Uncle. I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's. He's a very Funkle. Yes. <laughs> but it's creepy because he can go from this very relaxed, very odd little character that's just like, oh, you can transcend space and time. Okay, I, I guess that's normal. But he can go from just that goofy little guy. Well, well, walk it back a little bit because you have to explain about the whole you can transcend space and time. Right. The game knows you're doing stuff. And this is why I say Sans is the game because Sans knows you're doing stuff. Mm. He doesn't always pick up on it straight away, but he gets yeah. to it eventually. He's the most aware character. He doesn't... It's not like he knows about resets, he knows about different runs, he just knows something's up and you're aware of it. He can tell if you're going into every battle knowing like you know every... Every bullet hell is more simple to you and like, to him, you're going through this really speedy, you're going past every monster that comes at you just brushing it off. You're, he is effectively watching you. Um, I, I showed Willow Psycho Mantis earlier to say like this and the bit where uh, Colonel Campbell goes mental at the end of Metal Gear 2. It's that Kojima style breaking the fourth wall of the game and, and actually like observing your progress and being like, you're a careless child with a stripy shirt, aren't you? You fall into traps a lot. But um... Is you Baba? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Is he giving you a job? Oh my god, yes he is. He is you Baba. Yes, he is actually. He, uh, yeah. Uh, more than anything, he would want you to take his job so that he doesn't have to do it anymore. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sans is lazy. Like, he, he would far rather uh, uh, kick back and, uh, and half ass it on purpose. Mm. I think, though, that. I wouldn't necessarily call it laziness exactly, but this is this is where I think the source of the the soothing nature of the game comes in. Because stuff is happening, Sans is aware of what's going on in the game and is therefore something that is going to have an effect on him, his life, the people around him and where he lives. He's also aware of you, as in the player, not the character to an extent, not completely, but like you said, he's he knows that there's something happening here that suggests someone behind the, the person he sees. But his reaction to everything is usually calm and just relatively chill and, okay, this happened, 
Master Oogway in uh, Kung Fu Panda. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's this sort of because it becomes apparent that he knows more than everybody else around him he does have that sort of sense of of being a mentor but he's also companionable and sticks with you and enables you to adopt some of his slightly more zen attitude to things which when people are going through a time of what under any circumstances at any point in history would be a period in their lives where everything is is like heightened and tense and stressful and I'm, I'm talking about adolescence here mm. um, to then put that in late stage capitalism 2015 2016 onwards it very stressful external situations having somebody who can hold your hand and go this is happening and it's it looks bad, but it's okay, and we can do this. Mm. I think one of the reasons he might be one of the most... I don't want to say fangirled over, but I'm going to say it because it's an accurate description. Fangirling is different from fanboying. It's a lot less aggressive. Yeah, but he... He's the most curious character. He's got lots to him that he doesn't share with the player. He can keeps... you fan N be something? You probably can, but that sounds like a much more chilled version. Yeah, that's <laughs> fan what... B. That's what I'm trying to do with him. But... <laughs> He's got the most secrets behind him. He's mm. got the most. How the hell can you do this? How the hell do you know this? And why aren't you telling me? Mm. He can be threatening to you, but can also be very relaxed. He can be very calm. But when can you? Oh, you got to put that in context. I, I was never threatened by uh, Sans, mainly because, because we I was. Went, we were on a pacifist run. We were on a pacifist run. Mm-hmm. He didn't see us as a threat. Hmm. If it's creepy, because you can go throughout the entire game and kill every monster you come across, but if you miss one single monster, if one monster in the underground is spared by you, then he won't attack you. Huh. And it's Mm -hmm. awful because I feel like he's really knotted up about that. But at the same time, if he feels like, well, it doesn't matter, you've gone through this again and again, it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter what anyone else does, you're just going to keep going. So why would I put any effort into this? He only attacks you once you've done a full no mercy. Yes, you have to put in the effort, and if you really, really want to get that fight, you've got to Mm -hmm. do the grinding. Yeah, A true no mercy fight means that you don't just um, kill every encounter, you have to actually go through the whole area until there are no random encounters left. At nearing the end of the game, Sans talks to you in the judgment hall and he talks about the fact that because you spared everyone, that's (laughs) within the conditions of you actually sparing everyone, he tells you about levels and XP, which means level of violence and execution points, and he tells you... Which itself is a subversion of things that we just take for granted about RPGs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when he talks to you about this, he's saying that the more you kill, the more you hurt people, the more you can distance yourself from them. Mm. And that really came out when I saw people doing No Mercy runs. Mm. They were 
creepily happy about beating him, about going through this whole fight and dying again and again and again. And finally, he's... He has no guard to him, he's just standing there, exhausted, and you finally hit him. He's the weakest character in the game, but he will dodge every attack until he has literally no energy left. And every time that happens, I've seen people jump from their seats, whooping with excitement, completely missing the emphasis of it. <laughs> completely really? missing. Exactly. Uh. Wait, okay, so that's, it's interesting that you say that because in any time that I've watched somebody do like the, the actual Sans fight, they've, they've tried and failed and tried and failed. They've lost so many times in a row. And then when they finally get to the end of it, the ones that I've seen, they look like they're about to pass out from exhaustion. Mm. They look like they're complete. They look like Sans does by the end of the fight. Like yeah. they've everything has been taken out of them. Mm. Um, so I, I guess I just haven't seen people. Like I can understand it's a, it's a tough fight, and if you have a sense of accomplishment after doing that, it's understandable. But the joyfulness of it, I haven't really seen a lot of that most people just look like they're about to like uh, their brain has stopped functioning yeah i unfortunately have seen way too many of that and it's really disheartening and you got to stop hanging out on tiktok oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> disheartening a pun there ah, mm. very good we're talking about death but and it's that's a very yeah that's a very odd thing to be happy about because the you know if you go the other end of it sans is i mean like to me sans is kind of the unofficial mascot of the game for one thing and he's also the heart and soul of this game so if you go through and you actually like take the time to befriend him and to befriend papyrus because that's important to him too there is he starts to let you in and you see a whole different side of him that you like his brother might not even be aware mm. of some of the things that are are going well, on here. His brother's barely aware of everything else, so. Oh yeah, but he, there there are secrets. There are like like Willow, like you were saying, there are definitely secrets tied up with him, but if you take the time to get to know him and spend this uh, you know, allow this friendship to truly blossom, he lets you in and he starts telling you like i'm gonna be honest with you now and it's it's not pretty like some of the things that he opens up to, about to you is it's not flattering it's not good stuff but he feels compelled to do it because now you're his friend and he has to be honest with you it's really this beautiful the opening like, of dragon quest 3 yeah <laughs> It's it's a wonderful turn, and if you don't, like, I feel like you would just be missing out so much if you never went down that path with him. Yeah. Can I mention something about the music real quick? Like, mm -hmm. just as an aside, if, you, if that'll give you a second to collect your thoughts. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think the game does really well is that the music and the sound design gives you a ton of information about what is going on immediately. So like we're talking about the different personalities here between Sans and Papyrus. Sans's music is way more laid back. It's kind of jazz influenced. It's kind of goofy sounding, 
Whereas papyrus, you know, it's it's manic. It's all over the place. It's bouncing all over the walls and like it's there's a, a almost a mania about it, but it's joyful and upbeat. And that I think just is a, a perfect way to express their personalities without them even having to say anything. Like you just know immediately who these people are. Mm. Um, the thing I wanted to say was, and this is on the Sans fight, when people do get like that rush of, oh my God, I finally beat this character. What they immediately miss out on is the fact that Sans might be the only character with the longest death scene. Every other monster doesn't have enough determination to let their soul stand for a few more seconds so they, they can tell you a few more things. But after you hit Sans just once, he's already dead. He's got no more HP, but he's still going. He has enough time to get up. He has enough time to walk off the screen. And it's heartbreaking. And they're missing it. That's mm -hmm. the distance they put between themselves and the game. It's just about the achievement for them. It's just about the, I want to get this ending. It's just about the, I've heard this was challenging, so I'm going to do it. Conquest. Conquest, mm. yeah. It is a conquest. I think it's, it is also kind of a, a strange irony that there is a point in the fight towards the end where Sans will give you the chance to to show him some mercy and to like just end the fight and he completely punks you and turns on you and and kills you anyway and it's an immediate game over you get the game over screen and he just makes fun of you for it get it's, dunked on get dunked on it's it's really funny but i mean to me it's i can't remember when we ever talked about this but it's one of the the uh, fights that you wish you could de-escalate. Like, I don't actually want to be in this fight, and I wish I could just walk away from it. This is a great example of that. Like, you, you get a sense that it's not something you really want to be doing, or you shouldn't want to be doing it. But Sans doesn't even give you the satisfaction of watching him die on screen. He goes off screen to do it. So, it's another additional little get dunked on moment for him where when you actually do defeat him you don't even get to see it the final nice. spiting action towards mm -hmm. the next character just <laughs> we've gone taken a hard right at uh, the no mercy run but uh, we can now just retreat back to the area <clears throat> a few hours into the game you start getting stalked by this dark creature this fish person in the undergrowth, uh, and uh, she is trying to shape of water you with spears. <laughs> and yeah. this is the, uh, is she a royal guard? Or captain of the guard? Captain she's the, the captain of the yeah, royal guard. Go. And she's very proud of that position, and her name is Undyne, uh, which is the name of, is that like a Celtic water sprite? It, yes. It's, like, it's yeah. basically little, little, a mermaid, yeah. or mermaid, like an old-fashioned name for a mermaid. Water elementals are called Undines. Yeah. But uh, her attacks are, I mean, this is the one where you've got to like throw up the shield and block spears left, right, and center all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, what's what's Undine's bag? Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. She's, I think, an interesting character because Oh, she, interesting. Complex. I'm going to chase you around the garden with a bit of wood. <laughs> she's a complex character. Complex, yeah. yeah. There you go. But. They're all interesting. Yeah, they do. 
I think she's the one with the most determination, or at least, um... We will answer what the hell determination is, folks. It's not yeah. just the literal. I think we can mm -hmm. get to that when we talk about Alphys. Absolutely, yeah. But Undyne is one of the most fierce characters. She does not give up, even when she is at the lowest HP. She does not... Again, it's another case with um, Sansa's not giving the player any satisfaction. She keeps going. She goes into a second phase that's even more difficult if you're in the No Mercy run. But if you... <laughs> I've realised I've been focusing on the No Mercy run when I've completely subverted the most heartfelt parts of the game. Yeah. The pacifist run. She is wonderful in the pacifist run. She talks to you about how she was a hot-headed kid and that she felt bad when she finally defeated her strongest goal, her strongest enemy, because she couldn't get satisfaction from it because there wasn't any. He was too kind to her and she lives for the fight, and so when uh, the fight doesn't happen, she's kind of at a loose end. Mm. Yeah. yeah she, she almost doesn't know what to do with herself. Mm. Yeah, she expects you to defend yourself, to fight her, to give her everything humans have, and show her how determined humans can be. But you don't. You just show her mm -hmm. that instead of being determined to ruin the underground and be determined to what she believes is to be a human, mm. to be selfish and detached. She sees you just defending yourself and running away and doing everything you can to... Granting mercy. Exactly. Yeah. So is she a good example then of the uh, the monsters, the occupants of the underground, learning as much from you as you are from them? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think in previous, uh, you know, encounters with humans, they've either, you know, like the humans are responsible for the monsters being in the situation that they're in to begin with. There's this huge war and they've all been trapped underground as a result of losing. So humans already are not, they're not friendly, they're hostile, they have trapped us in this place. We're trying to get out. They're going to prevent us from doing that at all costs. And most of their interactions with the humans that have come before, you know, the player character, before Frisk, probably treated them all the same way. Like, this is all that they know. Yeah, they're like um, greyhounds that have been battered or, or, or yeah. worse, fighting dogs that don't understand mm -hmm. non-aggression. And I think the, the best example of that, this actually happens within the section where you have to deal with Undyne. When you encounter the monster kid and you've done a pacifist run up to that point, yeah. he immediately wants to be your friend. It's like he doesn't even register you as a human. Mm. To you, you're just another kid. And that's it. Yeah. Monsters don't recognize humans as fleshy things that look odd in comparison to them. They recognize them as cruel. Mm. And when you're not cruel, you're not human to them. Yeah, it's like they see it's like they see inside of you. They judge you by your soul and not by your physical appearance. Exactly. It's a strangely uh what's the word? Uh, uh anthrophobic was um 
what's uh, anti-human? Um, yeah, anthropophobia is not what I'm thinking about. Oh, misanthropic. Misanthropic, that's the one. Honestly, though, I think anthropophobic is closer. Is closer. Like it's a it's a it's a word I hadn't really even looked into. The fear of people. Uh, they avoid crowds. Yes, check. Fear eye contact or worry that they're being judged. Check, 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 check. It's not a clinical disorder in the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Men. Uh, mental disorders, but many people consider it a specific phobia. Well, yeah, but I think you'll find it listed quite well under social, social anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the monsters don't seem to have social anxiety with each other. I mean, apart from one of them who has all kinds of anxiety. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, the, the, the monsters themselves are allegories for dropouts, people on the fringe. Again, it's going back to Clyde Barker's Nightbreed. I don't know whether Nightbreed mm. is like Toby had ever seen it before. I only saw it a couple of years ago, and it's not that fantastic a film but it is very like monsters equals queer coded or monsters equals just out social outcasts and to a degree most of them in there in the underground feel some kind of neurosis the monster kid who doesn't even have a name is an exception because he has no particular fear he has no particular neurosis and he has no particular axe to grind He's almost too happy-go-lucky to be allowed out. Yeah. I've noticed a similarity and a difference between Undyne and the player. The similarity is that she will keep going until she is at her very last breath. She mm. will keep... Even after she's supposedly dead, mm. she keeps going. Her name is a twist on Undyne. Undying. In yeah, her... and her, her full title is Undying the Undying. Ah. Exactly. But the difference is that she repeatedly says, I can feel all the souls of the underground beating as one for this one goal, defeating you. It's that connection. It's that knowing that everyone wants this. Everyone wants your downfall because you are a horrible person. And it's you who has no connection with anyone. Okay, so uh, to perk us up a little bit, Alphys, again, kind of the opposite of uh, Undyne. This isn't, isn't going to perk us up that much. Yeah, no, yeah, we're gonna, it'll, it'll start off being really fun. And we can also talk about uh, Metaton as it comes to... Uh, Alphys is a character you don't have to directly fight. She's a mad scientist, but she created a robot who's gone completely nuts and definitely wants to hunt all humans. Big air quotes on that. Yeah. I, I originally thought that Alphys was a Triceratops who was really into anime. She is a lizard of some kind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. What's Alphys' deal? Alphys. Ramen noodles. <laughs> Alphys may as well be like, hey, lonely player, this you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. She's, she's your classic, like, I think she's the one that people can relate to the most. Exactly. She's... Very nervous around you. Sweating. Um, Her sprite sweats. Yeah. But she can be very kind, very loving, and very smart. And she's very dedicated to her friends, but she's terrified of what they may think of her if things go bad. Mm. And she, to the point where she's terrified of doing anything. Yeah. Reaching out, making any kind of... Uh, um, change to what is a very comfortable bubble she's in. Yeah. 
She, um, she helps you through Hotlands through puzzles and lasers that she is supposedly turning off and switching to help you through and help you get closer to the core so that you can find Asgore and get out of the underground. However, while she's doing that, she tells you at the very end, just before you get to Metaton's resort, that she's really happy that you trusted her, that you spent time with her and actually acknowledged her, that you portrayed that you wanted to be with her and not, not judge her for anything that she, any mistakes she made. And that's very important to her and she's, she starts to feel more confident about herself and starts to let loose a little bit. But I think the biggest thing for her is that she's so hard on herself and she's so mistrustful and so judgmental of her own actions that anybody coming along that's not going to also do that, she latches onto. Yeah. So like Papyrus, you get to experience what positives can occur when you treat someone with kindness and compliments and reassurance rather than attacking them. Yeah, you bring her out of her shell. But she's also asking you for absolution from for things that you actually don't know about at that stage. Mm-hmm. Not at that point, although if you... If you do go down the true pacifist route, she does, uh, kind of like Sans, she ends up opening up to you as well. And she said, uh, you know what, if we're going to be friends, I have to be completely honest with you. And I have to own up to what I've done for myself because I need to be responsible for my past. But you need to know this too, because you're my friend and I care about you. Mm. So what actually has she been doing? And now we can finally talk about what the hell determination is. Determination is a very key part of a human soul. It's the drive to keep going. It's the ability to save and reset. And once you die, you just go back. And it's very strong, very powerful. And the monsters are mystified by this from their perspective. Humans just keep coming back somehow. That's not it. They, they no? aren't aware of it. Okay. They don't know about saves. They don't know about resets. They just know that mm-hmm. humans are very powerful and that they're basically nothing compared to them, which is why they need seven of them to for Asgore to become a god and wipe out the human race. As powerful as seven as the, of these conquering humans. Effectively... Toby began this game with the mission statement, a RPG from the perspective of the monsters that we keep killing. Yeah. The thing that Alphys has to own up for is that she has experimented with monsters who have, and it always has air quotes around it in the game and in text, they say fallen down instead of dying. Like... Mm-hmm. It's losing the motivation to keep going. It's not dying, it's just not having the strength. She's the lost the will to live. Yeah, but just less. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but determination is. It's incredibly powerful, and humans are only able to have it or hold on to it because their bodies have more matter. They're able to keep going and not melt. 
which unfortunately is what happens if you inject determination, liquid determination, into monsters at death's door. Alphys tried to figure out a way to create a being between monsters and between humans that could break the barrier. But in doing so, she created something that was neither human or monster. She succeeded in that, but she failed because monsters can't hold on to determination. They're, instead of being made out of water, they're made out of magic, and that's way thinner than humans, which is why instead of bleeding, they dust when they fall down. Mm. Right, okay. So if it's, if it's about the fluids... Interesting. Um, it, that suggests that the source of humans' strength is their emotions, because that's mm-hmm. governed by the chemicals and fluids whirling around your brain. And these monsters are all made of pixels, so they can't get their heads around how many emotions humans can have. <laughs> how many emotions is people? <laughs> And the other thing, they make a point of saying that monsters, their souls are not as strong as humans either. Mm-hmm. So a monster is not going to be able to go through the barrier, but Alpha starts, she starts mucking around with things that she neither understands nor can she control. And at the end of when you find her laboratory, one of the questions that she poses to herself is what happens when you give something that doesn't have a soul the will to live? It's very... And the answer is... Unfortunately, you get flowy. Yeah. He's the experiment that... He might be the first experiment that went wrong with Alphys, but they do convey her hopelessness and desperation very well by making it so at first she's confident she has capitals and grammars in every log that she writes on the walls but as it goes on it and i only just noticed this when i replayed it with dad but she starts to look like she's talking more like sans she has Mm -hmm. that lowercase softer this feels wrong and at one point she says, I just keep injecting determination into everything and hoping it works. She doesn't know what she's doing, she feels like she's out of her depth, and she feels like she's not successful at anything. It's one of the reasons that Metaton means so much to her, because that was her greatest success, feeling like she could give someone confidence. Mm. But This then... is a super overconfident robot that finally turns a corner and becomes something altogether... Fabulous. Yeah, he's the greatest. <laughs> hmm. And I would, yes, smooch that ghost. <laughs> yes. But, um... <laughs> smooch that ghost. Love that ghost. <laughs> but she's very scared that people will find out what she's done, find out that she's been hiding it, and despise her for it, and just drop her all together and make her feel even more useless than she is now. Mm. And it's Mm -hmm. a really hard-hitting character because during the pacifist run, you can go on a date with her as well after it's misconstrued when Undyne sends her a letter saying, can we go on a date? Because yes, they are lesbians and we love them. (laughs) 
She talks about that she was so scared to ever open up to people, to ever make connections with people because if she got close to them, they would get closer to her and look closer and find out more about her until they found out the truth and people would get hurt and she didn't want that. She's a very <clears throat> nervous character. She wants to keep everyone happy at all times because if they aren't, she feels like it's her fault. Yeah, she's carrying around a lot of guilt and a lot of shame out of the things that she's done and and understandable I mean, she's been uh, she's created like these horrible beings that are just falling apart they're in pain all the time they're you know she's separated people from their families like it's it's a lot which is why it's so heartwarming at the end of True Pacifist when you find that they've all been returned to their families after Alphys has resolved she can't keep hiding anymore and no one's really mad. They're sad that they didn't get to see their parents after this long, they didn't get to see their loved ones, their siblings, but they're happy that they're finally back because mm -hmm. monsters are insanely positive creatures. They're, mm -hmm. They always look on the bright side even at the doorstep of despair mm. and it's why seeing these characters so heartbroken over things and feeling like you really want to help them but you can only do so much is why it's so powerful mm. i wonder if part of that is toby wanting to get across a message of no there's there's not really a situation where you've done so much wrong that you might as well just give up and carry on being terrible. Yeah. That there's always no. the potential that you start doing little, small, good things. Let them go back to their families or, you know, return them to their families and, and build on that. There's, there's always that little crack of light in the darkness that you can take, even if you feel like you're lost. So, who was Alphys doing this in service of? Who is the king in charge of this underworld, underground kingdom? He's oh, King Fluffy Pants! King Fluffy Pants! Fluffy <laughs> Buns! Fluffy Buns! <laughs> His name is Asgore and he is a ram that's, like, very yep. thick. But, uh, yeah. Like very um, warm and very... Uh, I mean, he's uh, just a dad through and through. Yeah. yeah. So, like, here now we can actually, um, just, like, just describe who Asgore is as a king, but then move on to the sad events of the past that kind of led to a lot of this uh, cyclical, sad, feeling locked in place and at the same time running on the spot. Asgore has a long history, which is taken quite literally because... He's now effectively immortal. He can't age unless he is actively killed. His responsibility is giving the underground hope, and in an effectively hopeless situation, he has been put under a lot of pressure, but he has unfortunately drowned under that pressure and made some very poor mistakes. While some people may not see them as mistakes, some people that mean a lot to him see them as very, very bad mistakes. He's incredibly guilty. Toby made a point to at least convey that he does not feel good when he hurts people. He's doing this 
He is stubbornly protecting the underground, but shamefully hurting other people. Mm. He sees it as he's doing it out of necessity. Yeah. Like, this is the last-ditch effort that they have to escape the underground and go back to the surface and basically have the life that they used to have. Mm. And it is a lot of pressure, but he does see it as, as almost a, it's a burden to him. There's a lot that Asgore has had to deal with. He has had to deal with his two only children. Whoa, 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 whoa. So, set the scene. Tell so, this sad tale. Right. Asgore and Toriel are the only two boss monsters of the game, I believe. And they are connected to each other in a very intimate way. It's that they are now tied together as much as she hates him and he wants to apologize, but he can't. They were known as very benevolent rulers in the underground for a long time until their child, Asriel, and their adopted human child, Kara, who fell into the underground and was saved by Asriel. I believe what it was called was, it was a shining hope for the underground that felt like everything was lost. Like, they still had this, like, we're working on creating new life here, but when Kara fell down, it was like, this is entirely new. This is a human and a monster being brothers best friends, and yeah. siblings and best friends. And it's incredibly heartwarming because you listen and read the stories of how the underground loves their king and loves their queen and loved the two children that were meant to be the next rulers but when kara gets sick and while they intended to give their soul and give it to Azriel so that they could go to the surface, collect the souls, and break the barrier. That backfired because the king and the queen were so distraught that their adopted child was dying that Azriel got incredibly worried because he felt like this was backfiring in some way and that this wouldn't go as planned. And after they managed to get the soul and Kara did die and the underground fell into a despair for a while but Asriel took the soul and went to the surface carrying Kara's soul. It's a complicated story because it's from two different perspectives. It's from the perspective of a grieving mother and father and of a human child that wants to eradicate humans because Something happened while they were on the surface that made them want to jump into Mount Ebert. And a prince that was supposed to be the next ruler behind Asgore and Toriel that feels really torn up about this because as he's taking up Kara to the surface to their village to show them the golden flowers, they are attacked because the humans are afraid because Azriel looks like he had killed Kara. And both of them are unfortunately killed and that puts the underground into a depression in where Asgore makes a very rash 
and angry decision to declare that any human that falls down will be killed, their soul taken and added to a pile in where they can break the barrier and destroy humanity like Kara wanted. It's a case of hatred in where you should be merciful. It's when you should use love instead of love, as Sans puts it. Instead of being violent to people, you be understanding and careful and caring. That, what you were describing there, where Asriel is carrying Kara up and the humans think that Asriel's killed them, made me think of, uh, there's a scene in the story Frankenstein where he's sat with um, a, an old man who's um, blind and vulnerable and when the, the man's children come back they assume that the monster's going to hurt him yeah. and lash out at him and that's sort of that ass making assumptions about what you don't really understand and attacking it is kind of at the core of all this to me be more open-minded about the things that you assume are dangerous. It's humans being afraid and rash and hurting monsters as soon as they see them. Mm. Monsters knowing about humans' reputation as vicious killers that have only done bad things to monsters. Mm. So they want to lash back. Yeah. yeah, but when you spare them, they go, you know what? You're all right. I'm going to let you buy. Because mm. it's giving them new information. It's giving them more context for humans than they had before. Mm. One of the things that is a, a big point, like bringing Toriel back into this, the big point of contention for her is that I think she knows Asgore should know better than to take this kind of a response. And this is why she becomes so angry with him. Mm. Because this is so against his nature. You know, everybody loves this guy. Everybody thinks he's so warm. He's so welcoming. He's a big softy. Like people describe him like he's such a great person and he's just a, a lovable goofball dad. That's who he is. But what he's doing and his response to all of this is so antithetical to his nature that it, it disgusts Toriel and she leaves him because of it. If you haven't played the game or are unaware of the greater story and were kind of lost there, I did want to keep it in because Willow said it so beautifully, but I also wanted Maya to boil it down. So here's a quick capsule version of events. Asgore and Asriel are the king and queen of this realm. They married, they had a son. That was Asriel. His full name is Asriel Dreamer. That's their last name. It's a little goat boy. Yes, little goat boy. At some point, he comes across a human child named Kara. Injured, seems to be in despair. We find out much, much later that the reason Kara ended up in the underground in the first place was not for very nice reasons. It is heavily implied that Kara was trying to commit suicide by throwing herself into the underground from Mount Ebbett. So Azrael finds this very broken, hurt, physically and emotionally damaged human, takes pity on them, brings them home. Azrael and Asgore, just warm, loving, welcoming people, choose to adopt Kara. Things go great for a few years. Azrael and Kara are growing up together. They're becoming really good friends. And at some point, Kara gets it in their mind that they have to escape the underground. They have to use their own soul to break through the barrier and get some kind of revenge against the humans. It's an ill-advised plan, to say the least. 
it does not go well. Azriel ends up having to take this failed plan on himself. He actually brings Kara across the barrier, ends up in this field of golden flowers. The humans see him, assume that he killed Kara. They kill him. Their ashes and their essence of Kara scattered out over these golden flowers. And that leads to this rift in the relationship, not just between Toriel and Asgore and the royal family, but to all of the monsters in the underground. So effectively, this depressive episode spreads uh, and Mm -hmm. affects everybody. And because Asgore... Uh, this this actually reminded me of the, of the weirdest thing, Lincoln. Yeah, did you see the Steven Spielberg film? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with Sally uh, Field. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Sally Field is so racked with grief over the uh, untimely death of their uh, younger son, uh, and this is at the tail end of mm-hmm. the Civil War, that she is in perpetual depressive, uh, often hysterical mourning yeah. in a way that that. Uh, is, is driving the, rain, the the president of the United States during a civil war absolutely bug shit crazy. And, you know, she, she, she flies off the handle at one point and says, yeah, have me committed. But ultimately, he can't do that because it, it looks and is terrible a thing to do, even if it does clear, like superficially clear this problem out of his way. But he's got an entire nation divided against itself to deal with. And their personal tragedy is somehow affecting everyone. Mm-hmm. It's that's kind of yeah. It, it's yeah. I, I like that comparison because it's very it's very true for Asgore as well. It's like you have these big responsibilities, but what I mean, if you're a a parent, if you're a, you know, if any anyone, you know, you don't have to be a parent. It, you know, if you lose anyone that you have loved at any point, what is more important Mm. than keeping that person's memory alive or going through that grieving process? Now, Asgore's response is quite drastic and is possibly not the healthiest way to deal with his grieving process. What is Asriel's decision? What What does he do as a result of this? He decides that he has to collect seven human souls in order to break through the barrier of the underground, get back to the surface, and exact his revenge against the humans. After Asgore makes his decision that he's going to wait until seven humans fall underground and he takes their soul, breaks the barrier, and destroys humanity... He has six already, you would be the seventh. Yes. Yeah, you, the player character, Frisk, is, is number seven. Mm-hmm. But after Asgore declares that, Toriel is disgusted and essentially breaks up with him and heads to the ruins and intends to protect any humans that fall down and stop them from essentially going to their deaths. Mm. So she's not just trying to protect the human at this point, is she? She's trying to protect Asgore from himself. Mm. She can stop yeah, the human the, from getting to. Yeah, and the rest of the monsters from uh, from this particular yep. line of obsession. Yeah. So yeah, effectively in this case... the other humans on the other side yeah. who are going to have to face his wrath when he gets this goal accomplished. So in this case, Asgore's Mary Lincoln, only um, mm. <laughs> she's the one in charge and, and she has... Uh, it, plans. Yeah. The um, detail about his fight is that 
Over the years, he has regretted his decisions more and more, but he hasn't been able to go back on it. He has to just keep going. And Some costs fallacy. This yeah. is what I mean mm -hmm. about that idea that you've done so much bad, you can't, there is no redemption, so you might as well just carry along, along the track you're on. Yeah. Asgore, his fight, his music, it's in the background, but you can feel that he has the regret of the other children, the other humans that he has killed, to that's it's kind of lingering over him. Mm. And he's just like, this is the final one. I just need to do this and get it over with. Mm. It's very important to him and it's very important to the entire underground that he does this, but he regrets it so much that eventually after you dodge all of his attacks, and this is the only monster where you have to get him to the lowest HP possible before mm -hmm. you can spare him. Because yeah, he, he physically takes the mercy option away from you. Yeah, he destroys your way out of this so that you have to come to terms with the fact that there's no easy way you can spare him. Is that because he wants you to destroy him because he's he's done so much? Most he's like, Prince Nawada. Yeah. He must you kill. He, me, yeah, he does not. Yeah. It, it's like either, I will not either stop, me I or you is going to die and there's no other way around this. It's like he's so close to his end goal that it's, I mean, almost literally, Mercy cannot exist in this scenario. There is no happy ending for him. But and, he, and the Prince Nawada comparison is very apt, and that's also like me comparing it to, to Shakespeare, because Hellboy 2 is where it's at. But once you've lowered Asgore's HP to a point where he just tells you, you're going to win this, just take the final blow, take my soul, get out of here. I don't deserve to get forgiveness for this but it's a heartfelt moment because you get the choice you can fight and kill him and take his soul and get out and if you do that you just go through and you get a call from Sans and he tells you that the underground has fallen into another despair because they've lost again, their king they've lost mm. their king their future is taken from them yet again and it's your fault but that's a dissatisfying ending, but it's at least you get to go ending, home. Yeah. But you can do that, or you can spare him again. The mercy button has reformed, it is cracked, but it is still there, and you can spare him, mm -hmm. and he's so grateful for it. He tells you that you can stay here if you want, you can start another family with us, and I will protect you with everything I have. This is not the way it's meant to be. If you can spare me, if you can forgive me for the horrible things I've done, then there has to be hope. Yeah, and, and then, then maybe he can forgive himself as maybe. well. <laughs> exactly. However, there is a little rooty flower turd behind him that kills him. He destroys Asgore's soul, and Flowey takes the human soul, saying, you idiot, you helped him, you were nice to people, you little, <laughs> you little Yeah, he nugget. sees you as just a, a, um, you're a sucker, yeah, you fell for it. There's been... Oh, you <laughs> fell for the whole gag. The whole thing. And there's been hints throughout the rest of the game that Flowey knows Papyrus. He has been 
influencing this naive soul that is just so adorable and doesn't see past his oh I'm just a little guy facade. Sans knows this, he tells you about it in a really creepy moment. It might be the first creepy moment of the game mm. where it's yeah. just this bustling atmosphere of grillbies. It's just this nice This is where you go on a date with uh, Sans to um, a bar to hang out. Uh, you say date, he mostly pranks you. But it's, Yeah, it's not exactly a date, but it is... He asks you a very pertinent question at this point. He does. Sounds like a date to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's not a date until someone's getting kicked in the nuts. <laughs> but it's creepy because if you look at the soundtrack, the song that plays when Sans is talking to you, when there's a spotlight on you both and everything's dark except you and Sans, the song that plays next is Premonition. It's a premonition mm -hmm. that something bad is going to happen. Maybe not soon, maybe not right now, maybe not as soon as you walk out of the bar, but it's going to happen and you won't be able to stop it. He tells you that there's he a talking mm. flower that has been giving Papyrus advice and predictions and it hints that Flowey has been there. He's been guiding Papyrus because before you were here, Flowey was the one that had the power to reset and save and know everything because as hard as he tried, he wanted to get the combination where he broke the barrier and everyone could go free. He wanted to be the person that saved monsters, but he couldn't. Without you, without that last human soul, he was just a monster trying to work with six human souls and break the barrier. It was so frustrating to him. And he couldn't just ask a monster for a soul because he is a flower without a soul. He is the conscience of Azriel that has been put inside of a flower. Right. There's a very interesting detail. Uh, in, there is a detail um, in the Librabi where they're told about um, monster funerals and that it's not a sad moment. You collect the monster's dust, you put it on their favorite thing, and you're happy because they get to live on in that thing, and you just move on with your life. You... And Asriel's <laughs> favorite thing was the yellow flowers. Not quite. He didn't even get to pick where he was scattered. He went back. He fell there. He, he did. He fell down on the golden flowers, which is where mm -hmm. the first golden flower grew, which is how Alphys knew how to insert determination into him. I always interpreted Flowey as not just being the essence of Azrael, but also of Kara, of being both of them, essentially. Like, oh, both of their souls wow. reside inside of Flowey, and this is why he has such a dark streak, is because that, the, the, the person or the, however you want to, the, the entity known as Kara, either will live on in Flowey if you're doing a neutral pacifist route or if you're doing a no mercy route, it resides in you, the player character. Right. So they are always there, no matter which route you take. It just, it depends on which tactics you want to use and where that soul and where that entity ends up. There is no Azriel only Kara? Yeah. It's, it's both of them. Mm. Yeah. He's been hinted at throughout the game that he's watching you, he knows what's going on, he knows that you're trying to spare everyone, that you're being really nice to a whole bunch of monsters, and he calls you naive for it, he calls you stupid for it, he calls you an idiot wanting to be friends with people. Which kind of gives you a perspective as to how... 
how much hatred Flowey has for people. He doesn't have hatred for just humans, he has hatred for monsters as well because of how friendly they are. Mm. He has repeatedly said that he doesn't understand how nice people can be. Because once he kills Asgore and takes your happy ending away from you, he takes the six souls and the most horrifying oh my god experience happens this fight is it's grueling and it's terrifying and it's disgusting it looks like audrey too got into a brundlefly pod with chicken giblets <laughs> i think the the common parlance for it is it's photoshop flowy because a lot of the graphics look as if they've just been kind of copy pasted mm. photoshopped onto the screen and it made me think right, of Aquatine Hunger Force as well. <laughs> yeah, it looks mm. it looks gross. It looks gross and like overgrown and uh, completely unnatural. Mm. Like this thing should not exist. And hyper aggressive as well. And unlike uh, Tetsu freaking out as he becomes this Leviathan, mm. Flowey's in his element. He's like, finally, oh, I can ascend happy. to this final form. He couldn't be happier about it. Yeah, mm. he's just on that little screen laughing his butt off. <laughs> And if you beat him, by the way, this stupid grinning face. (laughs) This is not the end of the game. Like he, everything about this fight suggests it's the last boss, and he he is one of the absolute hardest in the whole game. But Mm -hmm. when you beat him, it's much more of a. uh, When you beat him via mercy, Flowey's like, I don't understand it. I don't know why you're giving me mercy. You're an idiot, and you keep showing him mercy, and he's like, I don't understand. I can't understand. I can't understand is what he says because he actually can't. He does not have the emotional capacity. He's such a, a Flowey is has almost a superiority complex. Mm. Like he's too good to have feelings. And if you do have feelings, then you're a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you tweeted, and none of our listeners did, but if you, uh, if you tweeted, why was Peter Parker crying at the end of uh, Infinity War? Uh, then you you might... If you tweeted, that why is Peter Parker crying at the You're end of Infinity War? Kitty. You might be a flowy. You might be a flowy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the idea that feeling anything makes you weak. It makes you naive, it makes you childish. It holds like, you back from seeking absolute power. Which, as you know, mm. is what everyone wants. Sorry, what? And it makes people so happy when they get it. Sorry, what? Sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, who, who doesn't know of all of those, uh, um, you know, Banana Republic dictators who are just so chill? Yep. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> like, they, they have the entire population of a country terrified of them, and they kill people on a daily basis, and uh, they're just so... He must be the happiest kid in the world! <laughs> they're just so... They've won at life, really. They couldn't possibly want more of what they already have. They're not just a symptom of uh, one of the worst aspects of the human condition, uh, given far too many chances to actually rise to the top. Um, oh boy. Photoshop Flowey, otherwise known as... Um, Audrey 3. A, a Mega Flowey. Um, he has a really... Dis- alpha Flowey. <laughs> disgusting <laughs> way of describing the souls to you before he fights you, before he puts you in the hopelessness of, mm. I now have control of your save file and I've destroyed it. You will fight me forever. 
but... Flowey 3 is not a healthy girl. No. No. But, Flowey, I've come to bargain. <laughs> you said that well, no, you it's, playing. It's, a, it's an inversion of that. Flowey wants to keep you here inflicting pain on you forever. In, yeah, indefinitely. So it's, it's, it's a... he's decided that you're going gonna go through that Stephen Strange thing, rather than you deciding just you and me, Flowey, forever and ever. Mm. He doesn't mind the repetitiveness because he knows he's torturing you. Yeah. Because oh yeah, but that's and he the thing. knows he you're going to the... keep coming back. He, he has knows your determination is yeah. going to keep you coming back. It doesn't matter how many blank screens you see on your computer or your television screen. You're going to start the game again, yeah. and you're going to be back around. Yeah, he'll be back. Uh, effectively, Flowey has become a human player against you, uh, mm-hmm. spawn camping you. Pretty much. So like he's just sitting there, and as soon as you. Corpse camping. As soon as you uh, appear again, he just one shots you to the head and laughs at you in your frustration. In fact, I remember a game yeah. of World of Warcraft I was playing once when uh, I wandered into the wrong territory. A Tauron killed me. How appropriate. And then sat on my corpse. <laughs> and I was just running over to him like a ghost and went, So it just. Like, you're not going to let me play World of Warcraft, huh? And yeah, he, he was. He was one of those, like, uh, like I went into Grand Theft Auto Online early on in its uh, inception, and it was like being in The Purge 24-7. And <laughs> I was just like, can I just not ever go here ever again? And uh, th- that, that Tauren was actually instrumental in me going, I need to pull back from Warcraft. I certainly need to get off these fucking PvP servers. It's Leroy Jenkins' cousin. Oh, I wish. <laughs> Leroy, Leroy Jenkins, Jenkins only sacrifices himself. Yeah, the papyrus of Warcraft. Fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so let's, overzealous. Let's get to what happens after you finally beat Flowey and uh, show him mercy. Like, it's, it's quite convoluted. <laughs> Maya, can you handle this one? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so as as we were mentioning before, Flowey kind of appears at the end of the battle, uh, completely, uh, like I, I mean, angry, resentful, cannot believe that you actually bested him. And if you try to show him mercy, he outright rejects it, and he ends up running away from you. Yeah, it's like you you are so he won't give you the satisfaction of mercy, rather like mm-hmm. the inverse of no, nope. uh, no, nope. he's like I I can't I can't understand why you're doing this, and he just runs off. You can then cross through the barrier and finish. And you, yes, and you, and that is essentially the end of a neutral run of this game. Now, you know what you I said earlier about call. it being a little bit dissatisfying. Mm. Well, eh, it's bittersweet, if nothing else. You did lose Asgore in the process. That sucks. Mm. Um, but then you get a. Phone but it's call. only a little bit bittersweet. The end. The true ending is a lot bittersweet. See what I mean? It's it's like, oh my gosh. like it is reduced in impact. If you just go, eh, well, that was relatively painless. I mean, it was still exactly. painful, but uh, I did Piling beat the bullet on. hell, dude. Yeah. Now, once you get to the end, you get a phone call explaining like what's happening and and what's going on, and then you're told basically. There are people still in the underground that you could have been better friends with. So you can do a little backtracking at that point. You can visit Undyne if you haven't really made friends with her. You can, But more importantly, if you've done everything that you can, the next big piece of the puzzle is going to Alphys and going into her lab, which we mentioned before. This unlocks the true pacifist ending where you 
learn about her backstory, learn about how she was the royal scientist, learn about all the horrible experiments that she was doing on monsters and flowers and, and such, fills in a lot of the backstory. There's some really touching scenes between her and Undyne where they open up to each oh, other. Oh, we didn't even mention, they, yeah, uh, Alphys yeah. really has the hots for Undyne and Huge you can kind of play matchmaker. Yes, and, and it's adorable. It's it's wonderful to see them kind of open up to each other and they're starting to, you see the, the seeds of a relationship starting. Mm-hmm. Um, Alphys might have to become a little bit more confident in herself before it full it becomes fully formed, but it's at least there. And Undyne She needs to is, aim for power bottom. Yeah, but she's, she's, I mean, she's down. She's like, hey, I, I'm willing to give it a shot. So all good things. Now, at this point, Is you real? meet up with Asgore and Toriel basically gives him what for. Mm. Like she comes storming in and says, Asgore, let me tell you. Let me tell you a thing or two about so. how much of a jerk so. you are. Um... And she essentially chases him off with... I, she might as well be chasing him off with a broom and saying, Hey, stop this nonsense right now. You're being a coward. You know that you could have accomplished your goal with one human soul ages ago. And you've been putting it off and just insisting that you have to have seven of them. What a coward you are. Stop this nonsense. It seems like everything is going to be coming back to this nice, happy conclusion. And then it all goes to hell. <laughs> does Flowey, Flowey ruin it all again? Oh, yeah. Oh, does he ever? And suddenly, he is able to turn back into one of his former selves. And Asriel Dreamer appears before you and says, finally, I'm not stuck in that stupid flower anymore. Ah, guess it's time to kill you now. Hmm. And turns into a sort of a dark wizard goat thing. It is as close to a reference to one-winged angel as I think Toby Fox was willing to do, mm. <laughs> because there are—I mean, there's there's a lot of like religious overtones that that happen throughout this story, but it's heavily implied that he's supposed to be this like dark goat devil angel that has like descended upon you. Again, this is a very grueling fight. It's one that you don't want to be involved in. You wish that you didn't have to do it. Was this the one where you were stocking up on pie and things and going, whew, okay, mm, and I was like, wow, if you're worried, Will. I had the quiche with me, I'm fine. Okay, cool. But um, You're the quiche. I'm just, yeah. I'm not going to brag, but I, I didn't die once when I was fighting. Mm, not meaning to brag. <laughs> Mom, I didn't die once when I was feeding Asriel. Mom, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Go to bed! <laughs> Just a few more hours of monopolizing the CRT TV in our living room. It's Sorry. a cool night and I'm not giving you any pie or bed. <laughs> you get the sense that um, Azriel has inherited a lot of the, at least in his previous life, took a lot after his dad and was a kind and welcoming warm person that, you know, obviously he took pity on Kara, felt bad for them, wanted to bring them into his home, all of these things. Like, this is not a bad person, and uh, there is definitely a sense that 
if circumstances were different, you could, as the player character, you could have actually been friends with this person. And there there may have been something of a, a warmth and, uh, you know, just a, a playfulness about them. But the, the sad fact is that this person's grief and their torment, their guilt and their regret at all of the terrible things that have happened in their life has turned them into this and has caused them to now attack you. Mm. And it's it's really heartbreaking. Uh, one of the most heartbreaking points of this game is is when Azriel turns on you. Uh, it's one of those, again, an, an anti-fights. Like, you don't want it to happen. And you don't want this to be the case, but, but this is where you are. And that final fight between you and Azriel is... Uh, there's a couple of things going on. You can save um, your friends that he is is holding captive and, you know, using the things that you have come to know about them throughout the game, you can get them to come back. Like, you hear whispers that they're still in there because he takes, like, Sansa Papyrus, he takes Undyne, he takes um, Alphys and his parents and, like, traps them. But you can reach out to them and save them. And throughout the fights, you start to get the sense of, maybe if I try hard enough, I can reach out and save somebody else too. And maybe I can get Azriel to come back. Now, you said when you were writing your notes that you were crying just mm -hmm. working through that stuff. Uh, is this the bit yeah. that gets to you the most? It, it is. I mean... Huh. Not so, that I'm trying to make you cry. If, if you want Willow to talk about this so that you can have a breather, no, no, by it's, all means. No, no, it's all right. Um... I think this this kind of goes to the the question that you posed at like the very very beginning of this is like why this game like what uh, you know like for all of it yes it's funny yes it's cute it's charming it's quirky but why does it have such an impact on people why is it so important to people why like a year after its release did it get voted the best game of all time on game facts you know like <clears throat> what is it about this game and i think it seems like this where it boils everything down to something that is very relatable and it gives you a scenario that helps at least it did for me it, it helps work through certain things because i'm sure a lot of people have uh, have lost loved ones have lost friends family members you know, in their lives have felt alone and kind of trapped in their own, like, like Alphys, they just can't break out of that social bubble. Um, this, this game is for anyone who has ever lost anything. The music is one of the things that, that gets to me the most in this fight. Um, it's, it's a doozy. It's, it's hard. There's so much passion and love, and it feels so final. Like, you know this is the last one. No more tricks, mm -hmm. no more, oh, pulling the rug out under you. It's, this yeah, is this the is, final this is it. So again, going back to what I was saying, for like, anyone that has lost somebody that they have cared about, seeing this person that has already lost so much, 
And if you're the kind of person that would show them mercy and would want to try to help them, the fact that you can't, the fact that there's nothing you can do for them now at this point, except just walk them through their own grief and their own mortality My back. Is, uh, is heartbreaking. It's devastating. I really wish I could give you a hug right now, Maya. <laughs> oh, I would take it. Absolutely. Thank you. I think this is uh, its one of many examples of why this game feels so powerful and so resonant with so many people. There, there are tragedies that we live with in our lives every day. Um, and it can be big things like losing a loved one or it, be, it can be little things. And it's a very, you know, we were talking about the bittersweet endings. This is definitely the biggest one because the way to save this person and the way to help them is to just bring them to the end because they they have to get there. There's nothing else you can do. And the tragedy of it is that maybe if you'd gotten to them a little bit sooner, they could have actually been saved. They could actually be alive now. Um, and I think it also drives the point home that like the game has been telling you this whole time that doing the right thing and doing the merciful thing is not always the easiest thing. strategic and necessary it's putting the final effort into the game to get that connection to get that love for the small characters for the big characters yeah all of the friends you made along the way obviously being captured lend you their strength but this confrontation seems to transcend the oversimplified power of friendship hand wave you could consider that to be ultimately that is a result of you going through all the pain of trying to keep everyone alive going to greater lengths much like with bioshock which is more blunt about the choice it asks you to make do you want to destroy yeah. a little girl to get more powerful or do you want to save her and be less powerful you don't advance any levels. You remain weak if you don't kill anyone. And uh, people who want to be the strongest obviously go through the motions of conquest. If you get to the Flowey fight after having killed everyone else, Flowey himself is scared of you, the player. Mm -hmm. And does the game just sort of end on, on your crazed laughing face? That's not you. It's Kara. They they come back and it's kind of revealed that this spirit has lived on through you, mm. but is still there and, and has now become like fully formed again. It's... There is no Frisk, only Kara. Mm. <laughs> There's... Toby makes a point that this isn't what Kara is. Or at least... There's a lot of the fandom that seems to miss that. This mm. is the personification of Kara's hatred for humanity. Yeah. And it's how 
your disconnection has influenced them to carry that on, mm. to even... Mm. Yeah, you either inspire or you drag down to the absolute bottom. Exactly. And it's... <coughs> so it is effectively Kara's soul that's been in the balance the whole time. Kara's mm -hmm. uh, direction. It's when... And this is where Undertale breaks you. I love Bri Patch Wolf's delivery. He's amazing. Please go watch his video on this. It made me cry. It's terrifying because Kara isn't someone you can attack. Kara isn't someone you can overcome. Mm. You can't even make the decision to break away from this. You know what? I don't want to do any No Mercy anymore. I'm going to reset this. Kara says, Kara takes that choice away from you. Kara mm. makes a point to tell you that things go out of your control when you have no fear of the consequences. And because of that, it's horrifying because in the No Mercy run, every time you save, you get told how many more monsters are in that area. It's mm -hmm. seven left, five left, three left. And it's horrifying because it's in this really eerie red color that just tells you something is very wrong. And whenever you pick up items or whenever something happens that gives you a text dialogue, what might occur is that Kara says something during that dialogue. It hints that they're the ones that are always saying the dialogue. They're the ones that are giving you the, like, it's a purple snowman, or it's a frog mm. on the floor, or they're, you playfully crinkle in the leaves. They're the one saying that. They're walking beside you, watching your decisions, and figuring out how they're going to react to that. Mm. They like, are your yeah. internal dialogue. Yeah. 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 It's, it's more something you can be. Mm. Yeah. Or something that you can become. But it sours when you start hurting more and more monsters, because it's... I think the one I can remember that I'm sure is in the actual game is when you look around Toriel's kitchen and you're doing a No Mercy run, all you get is Where Are The Knives? And it's mm -hmm. an eerie red dialogue and it's really creepy. And you get your power taken away from you when Kara either tells you to reset, do it all again, Let's see what happens differently this time. Maybe let's not kill this person. Let's just keep going. Let's keep resetting. Let's keep getting different outcomes. But let's not spare everyone. Let's not be nice to everyone. Let's just do a little experimenting before we do anything else. Mm. Which is further disconnection and detachment. Yeah. Kara's just asking questions. <laughs> oh, Kara boy. can suck a lemon. <laughs> True. And I mean, to the point where, like... You have gone down this path so much, and it it corrupts you so much that it even corrupts your save file to the point where, like, if you want to try to take it all back and do it all over again, there's actually, um, there's, like, a flag that will appear in the code of the game showing that you have done a No Mercy run, and it will keep that in your save file indefinitely so that even if you do another pacifist route 
Kara is still there at the end, smiling at you, saying, You thought you got rid of me. I'm still here. So the game is judging you, and what Flowey is actually scared of is how you, the player, were so determined to wipe everyone out. Yeah, it's... It gives a little more perspective, because in True Pacifist, Flowey is terrifying. He's this force that thinks you can't overcome him. But if you do the No Mercy run, if you do what he says, if you don't spare anyone, if you act smart, if you don't make friends, if you start killing people, he realizes, okay, that I, I didn't mean it like that. I've created a monster. Yeah, he's yeah. terrified. You've become more powerful than him. Yeah, mm. and it's... whereas in the true pacifist run ending. Mm. It feels so much more fulfilling. Like, you haven't corrupted yourself by thinking that disconnecting yourself from people is the way to go. <clears throat> to attain it, uh, you effectively have to reset the game after you beat Flowey for the first time um, to a point where the last time you saved was actually before Asgore was killed unceremoniously just as you were trying to spare him yeah. by Flowey. So Asgore is in this timeline now still alive, which means that nobody has died. And so all of your friends are like, if you want to go back through the uh, ruins and, and check out everyone else and see... Like, if, if you win a game from destroying everyone and you get a big medal and a little ceremony is held for you and everyone goes, this was the best gun boy... Like, that's your reward. Whereas, if you do a pacifist run, you get two more hours to go through the game chatting with the people whose lives you've changed for the better and kind of like George Bailey go, oh, maybe I did. Maybe I maybe I was kind of a useful man here. It's the, the consequences a, of your actions. The game makes a point of saying that, like, if you become more powerful through, through no mercy, hmm. Flowey's afraid of you because you're more powerful. But the paradox is that if you come through on a true pacifist route and you have spared everybody and you have made all these friends along the way, that is also too powerful for him. Absolutely. And it's it's even beyond his comprehension. Mm. So either way, you're, you're growing beyond Sephiroth. Mm. Yeah. I think one of the nicest details is that if you beat Toriel at the ruins without hurting her, without hurting anybody, you can go all the way back, you can trek all the way through the ruins, you can go back to the Golden Flowers, and she'll tell you, it's okay, I know that you'd grow out of this, and just keep going, I trust that you've got this. And you can do that again at the end of the game, but it's Asriel this time, and it's so sweet and so heartwarming, <laughs> because he has an aspect of Asgore in him. He doesn't feel like he deserves to be forgiven when he lets all the souls go. But the, this point, uh, Flowey is saying, well, uh, Asriel, the goat boy, is saying, um, I just, I want to remember this little bit of, I want us to have this little moment before I go back to being Flowey again, because this game was originally designed by Toby to not be played again and again and again and experimented with to get different outcomes. He actively wanted you to go through once and go, huh, so that was my undertale and move on. He was ab abjectly afraid when it blew up. 
He, I, he described it as like uh, he was, he's the doggo, if you remember, a, a, a dog startled by a thunderclap. That this thing was out of his control, and other people were taking it and making it their own. And I would imagine that he uh, was um, crestfallen by the, uh, the the challenge factor of the No Mercy run. In the kind of, oh, you haven't been listening to my teachings at all, <laughs> kind of way. Which is, again, why um, games t- uh, are considered the Citizen Kane of uh, video games that are actually, you know what? If you just go on a path of vengeance and you kill everybody, it's kind of a hollow victory at the end. I don't need to learn that myself, but clearly some guys do need to learn that themselves. I feel like mm. if Everything Everywhere All at Once was the best movie of all time or of all which it is 2023 <laughs> it is, it's existential message and it's it's a marvel movie will <laughs> marvel fucking wishes yeah. <clears throat> but if that's the case i do believe the message that undertale gives you stands at the same ground but that's just me we could draw comparisons between kefka's nihilism and uh, flowey but i feel like flowey is oh, more yeah. hateful than Kefka ever was. Kefka was more bewildered, and they both have that uh, similar kind of hit the nail on the head early when you said that superiority uh, that uh, Flowey has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they but, both they both mock you, yeah, as well for trying to do the right thing. Yeah, but the true pa- final pacifist run ending is that everyone gets out of the underworld, and you get to see what the monsters are now doing when integrated into human society. They don't just, like, wander out into what's an obviously dangerous place. Uh, <clears throat> because you showed the mercy, they highlighted yellow text, you help this character along, and so they're now a, a successful DJ. It's a little post-credits biography. Yeah, <laughs> to a continuous yeah. loop of Louie Louie. <coughs> it's so nice that Toby really put the effort into his characters. It's not just that this monster existed, you spared them. Congratulations. It's these people have their own mm. lives and you gave them that. You yeah. gave them their lives. Which means that it's not actually all that terrible that so many people hung on the ideas laid down by this game to the point where they wanted to revisit it even though that was against the will of the creator because this game itself as influenced as it was by the greats of the 90s RPGs, has itself been massively influential and will continue to be so, which is more than a, uh, a creator could ever hope for. Toby Fox has expressed that he would love to, to know that Undertale has inspired gaming creators and he would love to play their games. And effectively, much like me, kind of wants to be just a link in the chain of sort of telling these stories, putting a new spin on it, and then just seeing it change and evolve as it goes down the ages. But you can understand, like, being that he came from a, you know, like, he's a a music composer. Mm. He came from a music background, had a very small team. This was, you know, a labor of love for him and, you know, few fellow creators. Temi Chang, we have to mention, who was a very important uh, creative uh, figure in this one. Very much so. Credited repeatedly. She's, Mm -hmm. um... And also is a, a, a cat-dog thing that has a shop in the game. <laughs> I've seen some of her other work. She's a really cute drawer. Like, her animation style is just... It's so warm, but at the same time it has, like, autumn colours to it. And it's really yeah. wonderful. It's fluffy. <laughs> it's fluffy. <clears throat> but 
Yeah, but I, I can understand, you know, coming from that place of like, this blew up so much in such a short period of time. That has to be intimidating. Yeah. Like, that's got to be a scary thing, especially if you've seen, like, what happened with, like, the creator of games like Braid and Fez and how success oh, kind of made them go off the deep end. Jeepers. Whew, yeah. in, a, in a, some pretty gnarly ways. I can, I can completely understand why, you know, they would feel the way that they do and, and want to kind of stay out of the spotlight. Mm. And Toby managed to not, not end up being Notch as well. Mm. Thumbs up. Or um, Scott Cawthorn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Undertale didn't have the message that Toby wanted to put across, but it did really help a lot of people. Mm. It... Yeah. I might be, like, overestimating, like, how much effect Undertale had on people, but I do think it really did, because there's so many people that it targets on the account of, like, empathy over apathy and kindness over disconnection. And it's really nice to be able to find that home screen, to be able to find the people that you can relate to that love the same game as you and love what happens in it and expand upon it because of course it did go way out of Toby's jurisdiction in terms of like <laughs> alternate universes <laughs> this ain't your jurisdiction Fox this is an AO this ain't your mama's undertale <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much in this fan base and this is reverse sands he's my OC <laughs> That exists. That I know. literally exists. Th yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> and this is where Skeleton 69 breaks you. What I think just hit me now was that at the end, when you go back and you talk to Azrael at the Golden Flowers, he tells you that you do need to be careful because not everyone is as wonderful as the monsters are. Not everyone is... Deserving of mercy. Because, yeah, he said that... Since mercy itself takes from you. It is not something you just toss out like confetti. It's something that you have to dedicate yourself you to. to. And a lot of people are not worth that dedication. Yeah. And you will, it, you'll become nothing. You will be drained dry if you choose. Either have every fight or try to win people over who are, are, are spouting dodgy shit. Mm. It's, it is a vampiric process. It's, um, he described it as there's a lot of cars in the world, and I get a, a small sense of justice when I feel like if the people that do, that do go through the No Mercy runs and get that feeling of conquest and woohoo and oh my god, scary thing, oh, it's just a game though, it's fine, and then they Thank go Thank you for through, making my point. <laughs> they go through that true pacifist run and they go through everything and it's like, oh yeah, I got all of the secrets, and it's like, I got all of the secrets. I'm... I'm a Kara. I didn't think about that. And I get a small sense of justice, just because I'm... It just feels nice to get to know that if these people... Shadowfried. ...look into the game, they'll feel at least a little bit bad for being that disconnected. But... There's completionism, and then there's not understanding what you have to do to attain that completionism. Yeah. As in not understanding the ramifications of what level of disconnection you have to go through for that. Yeah. And, um, 
I, I do really like how Asriel put it, and that it's just, you can't spare everyone, sometimes you just have to leave it, because in the game you can either act and tell the monsters that you're of no harm to them and connect with them and then spare them. Sometimes you don't even need to do that. Sometimes you can just walk past them and it's no worries. But sometimes you can't do that and you just have to flee. You have to run away. And there's no shame in that. You can run away. You can delete Twitter off your phone. It's not, you're not laying down your sword in the battle for the 21st century's soul. Yeah. If something... Hey, you know I did that not long ago, and mm -hmm. oh boy, things are a lot more peaceful. Yeah, Discord's <laughs> where it's at. Gosh, it's it's freeing in a way to not have that constant noise. Mm. I had a similar experience with TikTok. It's so convoluted with the algorithms, oh and yeah, yeah, I can just tell that you can smell the disgust coming from me, but it's just... It was difficult for me to deal with it because some of the videos I worked really hard on were getting silenced and some of the videos I just... nothing and I got way more boost than it needed to. And it felt so annoying and I just deleted it. I was sick of it. The only reason I re-download it is because I have a bunch of saved sounds on it that I may want to come back to, but that's it. Tumblr is where it's at for me now. Okay. Tumblr. <laughs> Tumblr. How See, 2005. You were looking oh, at boy. You were looking at uh, Twitter earlier today, and you went, "I know you say it's bad, but the cats and dogs are so cute." I was that's like, how they get that's you. That's the gateway drug. It really is. But I know. Yeah, TikTok gets you with all the dances and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> But the problem with Twitter, oh, this will be good, <laughs> is the slaloming back and forth between like, your, your, your you know, left-leaning friends who are absolutely incensed about this horrendous injustice that's being done halfway around the world, and you are also incensed because it is right that you feel this way about people, but it's hurting and it's taking from you. And then, look at this cute puppy, and look at what this fucking idiot just said. Let's tell him he's a fucking idiot in witty ways. The problem with absorbing the outside world in short form like this is that you, you don't get chance to properly absorb and process any of it. Not the good, not the bad. And at, at best you end up with such a hard shell that everything bounces off you. And at worst, it sucks you dry. That's why I think while Undertale's original message didn't come across, it really helped at the perfect time. Because... Undertale, well, it was the last good year. Yeah, Undertale had to prepare us for the years that would follow. Is an escape. It's feeling like you're connecting with these monsters that love you and care about you, and which is why you return to it because you don't want to leave because really it's don't. so unsafe outside. Oh yeah, there's a. It's there is a, and it's it's great that Undertale can really only exist as itself if that makes sense like it only works in the media that it was created for it really only works as a game which is i think that's great but also i mean there's a reason why i have a pc version of this i have it on the playstation i have it on the switch have played all three of those versions through to completion i got the vita and, version yeah i there's i I'm happy to support Toby Fox in whatever he does, up to including however many chapters of Delta Rune are, are coming down the pike. But there is, I think there is a reason why we want to spend more time with these people. 
it's a rare thing for uh, any creator, for any work of art, but especially, you know, this is very interactive. These characters feel like real people. They feel like you come out the other end of it feeling like these are actually your friends. And replaying the game just means that you get to spend more time with them and you get to enjoy all the things that you love about them and the things that you find wonderful about them. It's it's the rare thing that every artist wants to do, which is create that emotional connection with their audience. And uh, this game just does that in so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, one quite astute comment on the uh, YouTube video for uh, Bring It In, guys, which is the end credits music, is you don't want a sequel to Undertale. What you really want is a game that will make you feel like Undertale first made you feel. Which I think can actually apply to a hell of a lot of stuff that does get sequels, that does get cinematic universes. A lot of the time they jump straight to the well, this is definitely worth sequels before it's even out to give people the feels. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's this is kind of like the Back to the Future of video games insofar as it doesn't need a sequel, it doesn't need remaking, let it just be, that's what its creator wants anyway. Mm-hmm. And then they made two, and then they made three. No, 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 Back to the Future, the trilogy, as it is, yeah. was absolutely splendid. Oh, right, right. And it, it has required Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale, the director-producer combo, of going, no, every time a studio approaches them with a dump truck full of money for a, yeah. a sequel or a remake, no. It's not. And so, and, but I that's think... the thing, it keeps it special. Mm. Lord of the Rings didn't need sequels either. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, so I think one of the, I think Toby Fox has, has actually made a point of that too, is that, you know, it, he has continued to, you know, uh, make, I, I think of Deltarune as kind of like a, a spinoff or a, it's kind of a spiritual successor to Undertale kind of deals with a lot of the same themes to play on a lot of the same characters. Some of these same characters show up, but mm-hmm. it's not really a sequel or a prequel. It kind of exists in its own universe. And the thing that they always come back to is this probably won't make you feel like Undertale made you feel. Like, I can't give that back to you again, but maybe this will make you feel something different or it will be similar to how you felt about Undertale. Lightning round. There are going to be people who go, I can't believe you didn't mention this, that, or the other. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, we have one minute to say as many things as possible. Uh, Napster Bluke, the ghost who is depressed and uh, you lie on the floor with and look at stars. Canonically non-binary. Yeah. The gay guards who, like, they don't really want to say it about each other, but they clearly very much have strong feelings and you kind of help them to get to where they're going. Muffet, the spider lady who is selling donuts and all of the proceeds go to helping spiders. She's an extortionist. Yes. Uh, and a contortionist. Uh, the, the, again, the fabulous disco robot Metaton, who goes through a full transformation from uh, analog to digital. Like, like the, the glorious music that comes with that, and the sort of the work up to—I mean, potentially the uh, the only character in Undertale more deluded than Papyrus. Mm, not incredibly deluded. He is fabulous. Hmm. Also, canonically transmask. Yes, but they become the version of themselves that they've always felt, mm-hmm. which is extremely uh, 
gratifying, yeah. And finally, fan theories. This isn't gonna last a minute. Uh, okay. There's too many. There's too many. But if you really, really like Earthbound, <laughs> you probably already yeah. know this already, uh, look into the fan theories where it's like, Exhibit A, Exhibit B, Exhibit C, there's this broken machine, Exhibit D, there's a badge, Exhibit blah, 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 blah. Sans is Ness, uh -huh. and... Oh, God, that one. Yeah. I, I mean, there there are tons of references to Earth... Oh, God, sorry, my dog is barking just outside the door. That's so okay. Please, please adds doggo to... sound effects. Oh, she is very annoyed at something right now. Well, I her name is that Terra because she's like, "Why Terra. are you not yeah. doing Final Fantasy VI?" And you say, "That was last week." I was like, "Yeah, that was." Hey, get with it, lady. We've moved on. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so, there's a ton of references to Earthbound. I think it's it's not any coincidence that it's there. Uh, Papyrus's like design. He he's meant to look like the the, the star men yeah. that you come across, like the enemies that you encounter in Earthbound. Like, no, the color scheme is different. He's got a cape and some other details, but that's essentially what it was based off of. Um, and there are little hints that, like, is Sans a time traveler? Can he exist in two places at the same time? Does he does he have some kind of control over the the space time continuum in this universe? We don't really know, but a lot of fans have that theory. Um, Gaster is another big one that comes up. Um, oh, Gaster. Oh. Yeah, Gaster is not even a character that you you could in, like. You might or you might not even encounter him throughout the game. There's a very small chance that a, something will show up that resembles this person. And it could have been the old royal scientist. It could be Sansa Papyrus's dad. Eh, we're not exactly sure. Is it just some weird thing that Toby Fox wanted to throw into the code of the game for people to stumble upon? But that's one of the big ones, too. That, that, oh, that bastard Gaster. <laughs> the man who speaks with hands flips you the bird. So, I mean, yeah, that's... That, and wingdings. <laughs> that pretty much wraps it up. It's got a wonderful uh, finale where they're sort of, they're looking out over the mountain, which again, fan theorists go, look, this is the mountain from Earthbound. And it's between a city and a blah, blah, blah. But it, it, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, the, the idea is they're going out into the world. The cycle is broken. This is where the obsession can be laid to rest. And the bed of flowers is, is, is and always has been a grave. And this is effectively being able to move on to the acceptance part of grief. This is just me from the outside. I am not the expert, but just that that was the level nope. of satisfaction that I got from our pacifist run. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the the nail right on the head. Is that that's where you end up in this whole process? Is that you've been through all of the stages and you end at acceptance. Mm. Except for Papyrus, who never has to accept anything. <laughs> he's he a cool that he's dude. He's the greatest. He accepts that he can't be a part of the royal mm. guard. Yeah. But we could all wish we had friends like Sans. Oh, yeah. All of us. Mm -hmm. Including me. Yeah. Definitely me. Absolutely me. Okay, so uh, we're going to finish on the song that you don't actually hear 
in the uh, game unless you do the friggin' horrible ending. And it's a song that you should never hear naturally because you should never do the No Mercy run. Megalovania? Megalovania, yeah. Okay. I've heard people say that the only reason they go through No Mercy runs is because they want to hear Megalovania. It's on YouTube. It sickens me. Only one person ever needed to do this. Okay, here's another fun fact. A lot of times... Undertale will come as a package with a digital version of the soundtrack. That's how I originally bought it. So you can just have the game and all the music in one bundle and you can play it anytime you want. There's easier ways than one of the hardest RPGs ever on the hardest mode. Absolutely a banger. It's a great song. Yeah. But you don't have to do all of that to hear (laughs) it. Come on. But yeah, we'll finish on that, and then we'll also have uh, the uh, end credits music bring it in, guys, which is a medley, and uh, it has a just a sort of a wonderful kind of sense of, of journeying back out into the world. Yeah. Okay, so that'll do. Thank you all so, so much for coming on. Will, this was uh, your second proper podcast you've been with us, because we did uh, Heck, Heck Boy. Boy. <laughs> I ranted on that one, too. Yeah. Uh, Maya, we haven't released that one yet, but it's coming soon. No, that's the oh. 2019 Hellboy film. Ah! Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, no. Oh, I mean, no. like, I'm I'm excited to hear it, but also... Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just be proud. I'm going to spike the mic many times. Yeah, okay. But thank what you. a terrible waste of David Harbour. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you so, so much, Will, for coming on and just, like, I've been waiting for years to the point where I'm like, you know what, I think I'm ready to play through all of Undertale. Enough of the kind of, the, the, the I, I just needed to wait for a little bit of the mania to subside just a smidge so that we could actually get our teeth into it. The mania will never rest. And also to, to give Mm-mm. people as much time as possible to actually play through it beforehand, because... It feels like you know, Toby didn't want people to know all of the stuff we've been talking about. He wants you to go into Undertale completely blank and not know any of this and discover it all for yourself. But this is the internet and you can't really do that. No, so the best <laughs> you could possibly hope for from your uh, late audiences is that they've been given enough context to be able to wrap their heads around this stuff more smoothly than maybe people who barge straight into it uh, on day one and when I beat Undertale in me I, I was the first to beat Undertale everybody died it was advanced <sighs> oh boy yeah that, that was discovering for themselves but anyway so yeah Maya is there anything that folks should watch out for that you are in well, as I have mentioned before, be on the lookout for the conclusion of Doom Patrol. Season 4 is going to be the series wrap for that one, which I think is is good. It had a good, solid four seasons, and now it's coming to kind of a natural conclusion. So I'm very happy for that, especially off of the heels of Brendan Fraser winning an Oscar. Yay! So Amazing. few shows get to go to four seasons and actually end on their own terms. Yes, which, I, I mean, again, it's amazing. And for a show that was as weird and out there and experimental as mm. Doom Patrol, the fact that it went for four seasons uh, is a testament to how, you know, how avid the fan base was, but also the creators really stood behind it. Yeah. And there could be some spinoffs from it. I'm not sure yet, but be on the lookout. Um, also, 
Uh, for anyone who has seen the HBO show Barry and enjoyed the kind of dark humor of that show, there's a new program coming out called Average Joe that I've, I'm told is kind of in a, a similar light. It's a very, very dark satirical humor um, that I believe is coming out on BET. So be on the lookout for that. I was one of the doubles on that show. Um, very, very dark humor, but seems like it's going to be funny and some really great character actors in that show as well. Fantastic. And God so, damn it, Tara. Oh, <laughs> sorry. So ah. I've known that uh, I wanted to get you on uh, and Willow on to talk Undertale because uh, we did, I think, Sound of Gonzo shows for both of you and you both chose an Undertale theme. I think it was yeah. uh, uh, Megalovania and uh, Bone uh, Trussell. Yeah, which is... Uh, yeah, Papyrus's yeah. battle theme. So, yeah, it just it felt neat to sort of make you uh, Papyrus and Sans as you were. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, this has been something I've really been looking forward to being able to get off the ground. I, I've been looking forward to it, too. And, Willow, if you would like to come back to delve into some Delta Rune, I would be happy to do a sequel. Now you're doing podcasts without me. Okay. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> maybe I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna say maybe on that. Wait till Deltarune is done, much like the Final Fantasy VII remake. That's gonna be like decades. Oh, I know. And you'll be really good at podcasting. By I then. could be dead by that point. <laughs> well, come back as a skeleton. It'll be appropriate. Okay. Oh. Okay. I'm gonna play my trombone for you. <laughs> I might just master that instrument just so that I can prank people with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. All right, so, I'll stop now. Promise. So, <laughs> I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. I've been Willow Shaw. And school's out. out. <laughs> it is I. Papyrus, Lord of the Skeleton League, Master of Traps, Trapper of Humans, Floofer of Puppers. I can't do the whole thing in a Papyrus voice. I have taken time out of my busy schedule from being a cool dude to thank the patrons of the School of Movies and of the School of Everything Else. <laughs> Esteemed members of the Skeleton League include Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alejandra Vargas, Alex Brewington. Oh, just get through it, Alex. Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolf, Kieran Dachler. <sighs> Why do I do these things to myself? Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, <laughs> Dan Mayer, I can't say Mayer in this voice, sorry Dan, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hefner, Dave Hickman, David Shealy, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow. Joel Robinson. Johan Clausen. Joe Gluck. Kevin Vahey, who probably gets a lot of the RPG references. Lorraine Chisholm. Marty Polmeyer. Matthew A. Siebert. Michael Hasco. John Doran. Toby Skiss. You are welcome, Toby. 
Toby skilled Yogi. <laughs> oh, almost at the finish line. Come on, come on. Tim Wazenski. Timothy Green. Tom Painter. Timu. I've been editing all day. Timu Hellas Hayo. Sarah Montgomery. And Kat Esman. <sighs> Thank you to all of our top tier patrons. Never let me do this to myself again. I'm gonna. <laughs>